Thank you very much, Simon, and thank you again for your gracious invitation to come. It's always a joy to come to Hamilton, um, and I'm grateful for the opportunity today. Thanks to Nathan and Isabel. They looked after me really well. I was fed up uh, beautifully. I can commend Isabel's cooking, so if you get an invitation, be sure to accept it. You'll do really well. So thank you so much for um, welcoming me here today. It's lovely to be with you. I want to get really kind of personal and share something from maybe what God has been doing in my own heart, um, a little bit different to this morning, but I, I hope that you'll bear with me and perhaps something of what we share will resonate with you. I'd like to read from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians in chapter 12. It's a passage that you're probably familiar with, not the easiest of passages, but there's some really profound and useful truth in the passage. The heading in my Bible is Paul's vision and his thorn. Paul's vision and his thorn. And Paul writes, as directed by the Holy Spirit, I must go on boasting. Although there's nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was cut up to the third heaven, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things which man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We pray that God will add his blessing to the reading of his word. I came to faith just over 45 years ago. I was just over 22, so you can do the math. And um, I didn't come from, I came from a church background, but not a, not a Christian background. And I have to tell you that when I came to Jesus, my life had to change completely because I had been heading off in the wrong direction. And I needed to change, to head in a new direction towards Jesus. But as a very young Christian, I have to confess that I struggled. Things that I thought I understood, uh, then I wasn't sure. I started off by knowing everything and then realizing very quickly that I actually didn't know very much at all. I, I have to tell you that I came uh, to read in um, Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 a verse that... Uh, caused me to struggle. It says, 
All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And as I read that, there was one word that gave me a problem. It was the word complete. Yes, I'd, I'd prayed and I'd asked the Lord Jesus to forgive me for my sins and to come into my life and to take control but when I read this complete, I wondered, was there something else that needed to happen? Because, you see, I, I struggled. I, I struggled to live the kind of life that I wanted to live and believed I ought to live. And I don't think I'm alone in that struggle, because I think most of us struggle, don't we? Paul struggled. He said, the thing that I want to do is the thing that I don't do. And the thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I end up doing. So I was struggling with all of this. I knew that Jesus had forgiven my sin, but I thought that having come to Christ, it was all up to me. Let me just give you a graphic of that to hopefully explain it to you. You have there the timeline of history, right? So you've got the beginning and heading towards the end of history. And as you look at it there, you'll see that Christ came in the, at some stage in the timeline of history. And then I have to, that's a pretty good likeness, isn't it? I came some time later, and I thought that having come to Christ, that he would forgive all my sins up until the time I became a Christian. And from then on, it was down to me that I was going to have to live a life that was going to be free of sin. And I struggled, and I struggled, because try as hard as I might, I couldn't live a life that was free of sin. And it really, really upset me. But then the Lord very graciously helped me to understand, and what a relief that understanding brought. Romans chapter 5 says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when Jesus Christ died on the cross, none of my sins had been committed. So he was dying for my sin, and it was in the future. And he wasn't just dying for the sin in my life up until the time I became a Christian. He was dying for the sin in my life after I became a Christian. Because when he was on the cross hanging there and looking forward in time, he knew the way I would live. He knew that there would be days when my worship would be very mean and my heart would be cold. He knew that there would be days when I would be very reluctant to speak about him. And he still chose to go to the cross. And when I began to understand that because God's grace had touched my life, I was complete. There was nothing else that needed to happen. That all of my sin, past, present, and future, had been dealt with. Such is the efficiency of the blood of Christ on the cross. What a relief that understanding brought. But then I began to understand that God the Father loves his Son so much and thinks so much of him that he wants to replicate Christ in the lives of Christians. And as I began to think about that, I thought, Lord, that's a massive job to make fallen people like us like Jesus. How on earth are you going to do that, Lord? That's a work that goes on all through our lives. 
It's a little bit like the sculptor. I don't know if you've ever seen a sculptor at work, but he takes his, his chisel and he puts it against the, 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 the rock, the marble, whatever it is he's carving, and with his, with his hammer he goes tap, tap, tap. And if the marble could speak, it would go ouch, ouch. And then finally another tap of the corner flies off. And the marble goes, oh, Man, that was awful. What a relief. And the next thing is the chisel goes somewhere else and it goes tap, tap, tap. There's another corner to come off. And you see, that's what God does in our lives. He's committed to changing us, to making us like his son Jesus. And he's got an awful lot of work to do. Now, Paul cared very deeply for those the Lord had reached through him. He agonized for them, and he prayed for them night and day and wept tears. And he knew that uh, they would each bear um, the, the consequence of their own sin because the Scripture says you reap whatever you sow. And Paul understood that God was not primarily concerned about our comfort. He's more concerned about our characters. And you see, if we feel that God is concerned or ought to be concerned about our comfort, and we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation, then we begin to think, well, what's God doing? Surely God's making a mistake here. But God doesn't make any mistakes. And because we reap whatever we sow, it's really important that we make wise choices. With all of that in mind, the verses that we read together give us an insight into God's work in Paul's life. And I think if we look at what God did in Paul's life, it may be just maybe we can get a little understanding of some of the stuff that God does in our lives today. We've got three very simple points as we go through this passage. The first is this, that God honored Paul. And God honored him by giving him some extraordinary visions and revelations. Well, if you stop and think about it, all through his ministerial life, his ministry, uh, Paul uh, had visions and revelations. He met the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, uh, and he saw the glorified Christ on that day when he was converted. And when he was in um, Damascus, he saw a vision of Ananias coming to lay hands on him. And he had a vision of God when he was called to minister to the Gentiles. And do you remember, he had a vision of the man of Macedonia who said, come on over and preach the gospel to us. So visions were not new or strange to Paul. He had lots of visions Probably too many for us to mention just now. Well, what of the vision that was uh, referred to in our reading in verse 2? Paul says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was cut up to the third heaven. Now, what's that all about? Well, just notice that it says 14 years ago, and hang on to that for just a moment or two. So he was caught up, he says, to the third heaven. Well, did you know there are three heavens? It's a puzzle, that one, isn't it? Well, the theologians would tell us 
that the first heaven is the atmosphere around us and above us, and the second heaven are the stars and what we call outer space, and the third heaven is where God dwells. In fact, in verse 4, he calls it paradise. He was caught up into paradise where God dwells. Do you remember what Jesus said to the thief on the cross who said, remember me when you come into your kingdom? He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that wonderful? He didn't have to get down off the cross and be baptized or to give generously and attend regularly and and all of those other things that we think are good responsibilities, and of course they are. This man just turned to Jesus and he said, this day you will be with me in paradise. Well, that happened 14 years before Paul was writing. And the interesting thing is this, that Paul kept quiet about his experience. God honored him further by permitting him to hear extraordinary things. He heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Amazing. Now, just imagine what it would be like to go back a thousand years, uh, or maybe not so far, to your great-great-grandfather and explain to him the workings of your computer. Or, Or 500 years and explain how electricity works. There's a very interesting book I read by Cornelius Ryan about the end of the Second World War and when some of the Russian soldiers uh, got to Germany, they were fascinated by the light bulbs and the taps. And some of them, they took the light bulbs and kept them very safely to bring them home, thinking that the light came from the light bulb, not understanding that the light bulb was connected to the electricity. And they took the taps, thinking that when they got the taps home, they could put the tap in a cupboard and take it out every so often and just twist to turn it on, and the water would come. They didn't know that it was connected to a water plumbing system of some kind. Now, just imagine some of the things that Paul heard when he went to this paradise. Well, they were inexpressible words, which it's not lawful for a man to utter. Now, I'm sure that Paul's vision of God's glory was one of the things that sustained him through his life and through the difficulties of his days and kept him going. No matter whether he was in prison or shipwrecked, he knew that God was with him. And yet he never sought fame. He never sought to use his experience to boast. And how Paul uh, could have had such an amazing experience and remain humble, I find it hard to understand. You know, if it was me, I'd be tempted to say, I've been to heaven, you know, guys. Let me tell you what it's like, because one day you may just get there too. But Paul, he didn't tell anybody, because what he learned was not lawful for a man to utter these inexpressible words. He didn't seek fame or use his experience to boast. How could he have remained humble? Well, he remained humble because God gave him another experience. And it was an experience that humbled Paul. Look at verses 7 and 8. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, the truth is that most of us are too proud 
to admit that we are sometimes proud. Isn't that right? We're too proud to admit that sometimes we are a little bit proud. And yet the truth is the Lord understands us and he knows how to balance our lives. If you and I only ever experience blessings, we may become proud. So God in his wisdom permits us to have burdens as well as blessings. And Paul's great experience in heaven could have ruined his ministry on earth. So God, in his goodness, permitted Satan to buffet Paul in order to keep him from becoming proud. Now, isn't that extraordinary? That Satan, the enemy, should have been permitted by God to buffet Paul to keep Paul from becoming proud. As I think about it, do you know, it never occurred to me that Paul, the spiritual giant that he is, could ever have become proud. He'd kept this extraordinary vision to himself for 14 years. Well, the mystery of human suffering will not be solved completely in this life, and sometimes we suffer simply because we're human and our bodies change as we grow older. Everything heads south, and... um, We're susceptible to the normal problems of life. And the same body that can bring us pleasures can also bring us pains. And family and friends that can delight us can also break our hearts. And that's part of the human comedy. And the only way to escape it is to be less than human. But nobody wants to take that route. Well, sometimes we suffer because we're foolish and disobedient to our Lord, and sometimes our Lord disciplines us. Yes, he forgives our sins, but he allows us to reap what we sow. So when we make bad decisions, we live with the consequences. Now, had Paul's heart become proud, the following 14 years of ministry would have been an abject failure. So God gave Paul a thorn in the flesh. So I've got two questions that I want to ask you this evening. The first is this, what do we know about the thorn? What do we know about this thorn? Well, there are a number of things that we know. First of all, we know that the thorn was painful. The thorn was painful. In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Now, interestingly enough, the word thorn is the word that is used for a sharp stake that is used to torture somebody. So it was painful. It really hurt him. And the word uh, torment uh, actually means to, to buffet, to beat or strike with a fist. So we know that what Paul went through was very painful. And we know it was painful because of Paul's prayers. Look at verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And I don't think Paul prayed, Lord, take it away, please take it away, Lord, please take it away. That's three times, Lord, please take it away. I don't think it was like that. It was over a period of time, What we're not told how long that time was, and it was so difficult and so painful that Paul didn't want it. He asked God to take it away. So we learned that this thorn was painful. We also learned that it was prolonged. It wasn't just a one-off. 
it was something that was consistently painful. We don't know for how long, but it was prolonged. We also know something of the purpose of the thorn. Verse 7, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan. So, with those things in mind, there are two questions that I want to just ask you. First of all, what do you think the thorn was? Some folks think it was his mother-in-law. I don't think so. Some folks think it was his eyesight, because if you read the last part of Galatians, he talks about writing with large letters, so he had a problem with his eyes. But I don't think it was that. Now, what's interesting is the description of the thorn is that it was a messenger of Satan. Now, every other instance of uh, use of the word uh, messenger refers to a person. Could it have been a person in the Corinthian church who was making Paul's life miserable? It could have been. We don't know. We don't know. What's amazing to me is that this thorn was a messenger of Satan. Imagine that. God uses Satan. God uses Satan. A messenger of Satan. The real question is this. Why aren't we told what the thorn was? Why do you think we're not told? Could there be a reason we're not told what the thorn is? Well, I think there is a reason. You see, I don't think it was a person from the church in Corinth. It might have been for Paul. But we don't live anywhere near Corinth. I think we're not told what the thorn is because there are different thorns. There are different thorns. How amazing that God would permit Satan to afflict Paul, and that reminds us that our enemy is not all-powerful. And he's certainly not all-knowing. Do you think that the enemy would have worked his socks off to bring Christ to the cross had he known that the cross was going to be his ultimate defeat because he couldn't kill Jesus. Jesus had the power to lay down his life and the power to take it up again. And the enemy doesn't know the way that God chooses to use him. He's not all-powerful. And he cannot work against the Christian without God's permission. You remember the book of Job, how the enemy had to get permission from God to attack Job. I wonder, could it be that some of us have a thorn this evening? I wonder what your thorn is. Could it be a frailty, physical, emotional? Could it be a a fault, a defect, or imperfection, an embarrassment? Could it be a friend who sometimes causes you pain? Could it be a failure that you wrestle with? I don't know what your thorn is, but I'm very sure the Holy Spirit will identify it for you if that's what you choose. But I want to say this to you. If you have a thorn, don't resent it. It exists by God's sovereign pleasure And it is for our good. Do you remember what Paul wrote in Romans? 
He said, and we know that in all things, all things, not some things, but in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. That's really quite amazing. All things God works together for good. I posed a question this afternoon, Nathan and Isabel. Who was responsible ultimately for the crucifixion? It wasn't Pilate. Whose idea was it? Was it not God the Father? God the Father? Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He said in the garden, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. And then he said twice, if it's not possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet your will be done. And he went through that struggle in Gethsemane. But for us, our Gethsemane follow our crucifixion, our period of pain. And you know, we can sit in our garden of Gethsemane and we can say, this has been so uncomfortable and so hurtful. It's unfair, Lord. Don't you know what's happening to me? And we can live the whole of our lives there. Or we can say, Lord, I don't understand it, but you are sovereign on the throne. And I need to focus on whatever it is you want to do in my life through this period of pain. Will you please, Lord, have your way in my life? And Paul was learning those lessons as he was going through his painful time. God honored Paul. God humbled Paul. And then thirdly and lastly, God helped Paul. You see, God responded to uh, Paul's prayers. Uh, we, we read uh, that, that God said in response to Paul's prayer, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, I just love it when he says my grace is sufficient for you. And note the word is. It doesn't say might be sufficient, but is sufficient. And that's for us too. Regardless of what thorn you're wrestling with today, how painful it is. God's grace is sufficient. Not might be, but it is sufficient. God's provision for our every need when we need it. It is a sufficient grace. It never runs out, and it is sufficient and efficient for every situation. It's a strengthening grace. We pray for God to remove our pain and change our circumstances. But in my experience, his response is generally to use those things to change us. Paul learned to accept his thorn as a gift from God, and his heart was to allow God to accomplish his purposes. And I find it interesting that God didn't give Paul an explanation because God doesn't give us an explanation for the problems and the thorns that we have. But what God does is to give us a promise. And that promise is this, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. We don't live on explanations. We live by promises, don't we? And amazingly, Paul ended up by thanking God for this thorn because he learned so much. 
He was thanking God for the very thing that hurt him. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't talk about these things lightly because we're very aware that it's almost certain that somebody in this congregation, this church family, has got a thorn and it's hurting you so much. Please know that God cares and he has a purpose. I don't know what the purpose is other than to say it is for his glory. There is no value in enduring the enduring of hardships and indignities in and of themselves. There's no virtue in suffering. Everything turns on that phrase, for Christ's sake. Enduring the pain for Christ's sake. Only a fanatic would find contentment in self-inflicted suffering and miseries, but a Christian will find a special contentment in sufferings endured for Christ's sake. So interesting to ask folks from time to time, how big is your God? Do you really believe he's sovereign and on the throne? Do you believe that things happen without his knowing about it? We find contentment and help from his grace when we endure pain for Christ's sake. That's because we come to understand and we take to heart the paradox of power because Paul says, when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, if we live life in our own strength, we're doomed for failure because however strong we may be, we're just not strong enough. But when we realize that we are weak, we throw ourselves on him because there's nowhere else we can go. And his power sustains us. The spiritual maths is never my weakness plus his strength equals my power. Rather it is my weakness plus his strength equals his power at work in me and through me. I don't know if you've ever heard of a, letter, a lady called Henrietta Mears. She wrote this book, What the Bible is All About, and it sold, uh, I believe, about four million copies. Uh, it was used to strengthen the, the church through uh, her uh, discipleship in, in an extraordinary way through her writing. And yet, as a child, she suffered with extreme myopia and a general eye weakness and irritation. And she, like Paul, cried out for relief, but to no avail. And in her maturity, she often remarked, and I quote, I believe my greatest spiritual asset throughout my entire life has been my failing sight, for it has kept me absolutely dependent upon God. Absolutely dependent upon God. And that lady went on, still plagued by her increasing disability, to set the standard for Sunday schools in America. She founded something called the Gospel Light, and she wrote this extraordinary book, 
which has sold more than four million copies, and she was influential in shaping the ministries of men like Billy Graham and Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ. And the paradox of power is this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. It's hard to talk about these things, isn't it? Because somebody in the church this evening is in real pain. God's more concerned with our characters than he is with our comfort. But you know, somebody has described life as going through the short, narrow neck of a bottle. We tend to think that life is long, but it isn't really. But we go through a valley, we don't stay in the valley. And we go into eternity. And how long is eternity? Eternity is forever, isn't it? And when we get there, if we manage to look back and think about our lives, we'll probably wonder, why did we make such a fuss about all the things that happened to us? And in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter very much. What matters is Jesus. And him having his way in our lives to make us into the people that he wants us to be so that he can use us. I sometimes dream that I've gone to heaven, died and gone to heaven. And I'm there standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. And I don't know how it's going to work because he wipes away every tear and you're going to get close to somebody to do that. And there's going to be myriads, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of folks gathered around the throne. And in an extraordinary way, we're all going to be close to him. We're going to get new bodies. I'm going to get a new voice. I'm excited about that. I, I don't know what the new bodies are going to be like. I don't know if we're going to have elbows. Do you think we're going to have elbows? But just imagine, there we are standing in front of the judgment seat of Christ, and we're looking at him, utterly captivated by his beauty. And all of a sudden, we, we feel in our side a, an elbow. And we, with great difficulty, tear our eyes away momentarily. And there's somebody beside us. And we say, hi. And this person says, hi, do you remember me? And you tear your eyes away again from it. You look and you think, I, 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 sorry, I don't recognize you. New body and all of that. But I, though I think we will recognize each other, but there's another, that's another conversation. And I think that as we look at this person beside us, this person's going to say, you don't remember me, but you shared Jesus with me. And I just want to come say thank you, and I want to show you all the folks I'm bringing with me. Oh. What a day that will be. Wow. Won't we look again at him, and won't we praise him? And all of the thorns that we have, they will seem so small and so insignificant because they have brought us into that place where God is free to work in us and through us for the glory of his name. Let me encourage you to keep going. Hebrews chapter 12, 
Verse 1 says we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. I used to think they were spectators and that they were sitting there looking down and saying, see that guy, Mike Healy? Man, he's going slow, isn't he? He could go a bit quicker, but they're not spectators. They're witnesses. And what are they witnessing? They're not witnessing my attempts to run. They're witnessing to the fact that it's worth it. And if they're doing anything, they're shouting out saying, keep going because it's worth it. Keep going. The finishing line is not far away. And oh, if we do, we shall never look back with regret. Let me pray for you. Oh, Lord Jesus, we are so very grateful for all the mercy and the grace and the love that you have shown us. It is true that your ways are not our ways and we don't understand often what you do. But we know enough to know that your character is perfect and you never make any mistakes and you're too gracious ever to be unkind and nothing will happen to us that hasn't already happened to Jesus. And so we want to pray for one another, most especially, Father, for those who have a thorn. Whatever that thorn is, we don't pray that you'd remove it, Lord, because that's not what you do. But we pray that you would give them grace so that they might discover that grace from Jesus makes us aware of our weakness. And being aware of our weakness, we become aware of your power within us. And, oh God, may your power have free reign within us to do whatever you choose for the glory of your great name. Because we ask it, Father, in the precious and lovely name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.